Well, I'm glad you're here for this first week of a series we're calling Radical Forgiveness. And there's nothing hidden in the title. That's what we're talking about for the next number of weeks is just forgiveness. What a better topic to lead up to Easter. And the reason I wanted to cover forgiveness, because it seems like something that's so basic, but yet I see a lot of really bad ideas and maybe the way to say it is bad theology that Christians believe about forgiveness that we kind of pass around and share a lot of times. Things that are half-truths, partial truths, and some things that are just plain wrong. And, and my thought is, if there's anything we're going to get right, it probably needs to be this topic of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a huge part of our faith. It's a huge part of our relationship with God. It's a huge part of our relationships with one another. And if you've got something in your life that is unforgiving, something, something that somebody has done against you, let me say it that way, if somebody has done something against you and you have not forgiven it, that is just a huge distraction to you living the life that Christ has set out for you. Uh, I've told this story a number of times in sermons because it very much is appropriate for this topic, but um, when I was in high school, um, me and my friends, you know, we'd, we'd hang out at the park a lot, Leo French Park, if you ever want to go to Fairfield and see where I hung out, Leo French Park. I'm sure that's on your vacation destination. And so we would park there, but we, if we ever wanted to go somewhere, we're not all going to drive separately. We'd hop in one guy's car, leave the rest of our cars there, and go to the movies or whatever. And so um, one night I left my car there and come back after the movies to find out that somebody had smashed my car with a baseball bat. None of the windows, but a headlight and pretty much every single panel on the car, the trunk, the hood, all the sides, all the doors, the roof, every piece of that car had been touched with a bat. And I find out who it was. It was this guy in my class that I never really talked to. I mean, we didn't hang out. We had never really been close, never been friends. Um, the only interaction I'd ever had with him was maybe in a class um, where he would let me know how much he hated me. And I had no idea why, but it's like, eh, whatever. I forget you. I don't need anything. I mean, you're Whatever. You can hate me. I don't care. And so most of the time I could ignore him until he beat my car up with a bat. And and, you know, I never really did anything as far as telling the cops or anything because as I talked around, I had one person who would tell me who did it, but everybody else seemed to have amnesia about that night. You know, everybody else who was there and knew who did it, that nobody could seem to remember, so I knew nobody would ever tell the cops, you know, you know, the prevailing thought that snitches get stitches and nobody wanted to be that, and so that nobody told the guy about it. I thought it's really not worth getting, messing with him because he was the kind of guy that would, uh, you knew he would grow up and and kill somebody and go to jail and not care. You know, he was that kind of guy, and I could tell that in high school, and I was like, he's got that kind of friends, and it's like, ain't worth it. I just knew that wasn't worth it. So I didn't really take any action against the guy, but man, was I angry. And I stayed angry for years, and I held on to that anger. And I'll tell you when I knew I had a forgiveness problem, or, or rather, a lack of forgiveness problem. It was uh, not too long after I came to Loami, and I was preaching on forgiveness, and I was telling that story. And as I'm telling the story to you, I was getting mad. I was getting worked up about it. And at that point, it had been probably seven or eight years had gone by. And it's like, I, I knew as I'm preaching, it's like, I am still angry about this. I'm still mad about this. I'm still, I'm still holding that grudge against him. And I know for some people, seven years of a grudge, you don't call that a long-term grudge. You call that a warm-up. Because some of you have been mad at people 
for years, decades. You've been angry about something that somebody did to you in high school, something that somebody did to you when you were a kid. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about forgiveness and what it is, what exactly forgiveness is, and what it means to take a step past those moments, to actually start the process of putting them behind you. And I do believe that it is a process in a certain extent. Forgi- forgiveness is a little bit like salvation. It happens, and then it keeps happening. Like, I've been saved by Jesus. I'm redeemed, and I'm going to heaven. But every day, I still need God to do a little work on me, okay? And so it's, it's a moment, and then it's also a process. So it's kind of a two, twofold, uh, both and kind of a situation. Now, before we talk about forgiveness, what I want to talk about is what happens in those moments when somebody b- betrays you, hurts you, lies to you, cheats on you, whatever that moment of hurt is. I want to talk about something that happens in those moments that makes forgiveness so incredibly hard for most of us. And uh, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to call, call it what it is when somebody betrays you, hurts you, does something wrong against you. Okay, It's sin. And for our purposes today, we're going to define sin this way. This way. Uh, <laughs> sin is when... Sin is when we fail to treat anyone in a loving manner. And if you are a a really deep theological person, you might say, Anthony, that's a little bit of an incomplete definition. And yes, I understand. But it's not wrong. And for our purposes today, that's what we're going to say sin is. Sin is when we fail to treat someone in a loving manner. And here's the thing. When sin enters a relationship... Something happens. It changes your relationship from a husband-wife relationship, from a friend-friend relationship to a father-son, mother-daughter, whatever. It changes the nature of your relationship to something completely different. It changes your relationship to a debt-debtor relationship. It changes you from a debt-debtor relationship. So you're no longer husband and wife. You're a debtor and a creditor. You're no longer two friends, but you're a borrower and a lender. And that is a huge thing that you have to understand, and I have to understand, if we are ever going to understand the true nature of what it means to forgive. And the way this takes place is when somebody has done something to you, as the anger gives way to the pain, you start to think that they owe you something. They owe you something. That's why we use the language, you owe me an apology. You owe me. There's this debt that they have created as they did something wrong, and they deserve to pay for that. You feel that sense of uh, a, a desire for justice in you, and you want them to pay that relationship back. Now, this idea that, that sin creates uh, a debt-debtor relationship between you and whoever it is has sinned against you, or who you've sinned against, it's nothing new. They've, the Old Testament talked about that thousands of years ago. Uh, in the Old Testament law that God gave through Moses, there's this one little bit that's called, it's a really cool name, the law of the talon. And I love that that's what it's called, the law of the talon. Some, some translations or some people say the law of the claw. Both are equally cool. But, and it's a verse you've probably heard before, but here's what it is. And, it's a, and it accounts for this idea that we want there to be an equal payment. You did something wrong, I want you to pay. It says, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death, life for life. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as it has done, or as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good. Whoever kills a person shall be put to death. 
You see this idea of, of like almost like a scale that needs to be balanced. They've offset it. There's a debt that must be paid back. They took a life, they need their life taken. They kill your animal, they at least need to give you back the, the animal, that kind of thing. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We've all heard that. And so we get to this idea of they owe you something. They owe you something. Like I said, we could be an apology. Uh, when that guy bashed my car, I felt like he at least owed me the money to fix every single panel on the car that he broke. At the very least, I wanted to put like a giant eye patch over that one headlight that was broken. I kind of go pirate. I was like, lean it, maybe steer into the skid a little bit. Um, but he owed me something, right? I felt like he owed me some real, tangible, actual money. If you've ever been in maybe a long-term relationship that failed, I know people that have looked at that situation and said, you owe me the years of my life back. I've seen adults, grown-up people who will have gone through their childhood and their parents have like colossally messed up in some way. And those effects of their parents messing up their childhood have lingered into adulthood. And they'll be mad at their parents as adults. They'll be mad at their parents. And they'll in some way believe that their parents owe them their childhood. Owe them a better childhood. The one that every child should have. And so there's this sense that you owe me. This debt relationship that exists when someone sins against you or when you sin against someone else. And it's that debt that makes it so hard to forgive. Because most of the time when somebody takes something from you, it is personal. It is something that you have worked for or something that you feel that, you know, I, I deserve a normal childhood. I deserve uh, to have a relationship where somebody trusts me and I can trust them back. They, they, they steal something from you that you've worked hard for or, or at least when they take it, there is pain that exists. And, and the idea of, of forgiveness, I mean, it's like, no, I'm not going to forgive like, why would I forgive? They took something from me, and they deserve to pay it back. I'm not just going to let them off the hook, and it feels personal, and it feels painful, and it is emotional because there's a debt there, and you want that debt to be repaid. And you look at that person, and you think, I lost something, and you deserve to lose something too. That sense of justice exists in all of us. It's undeniable. I listened to a powerful story the other day. of a minister, he's, uh, he, lived in, he lives in Detroit, and this particular weekend, they had sent their kids to uh, his in-laws who lived in northern Illinois. This, isn't, this is just extra detail for the story. Um, and usually, he said, when the kids go to the in-laws, they would, uh, the in-laws would bring them back. And he kind of just said to his wife, hey, why don't you go down and get the kids this time? Spend a couple days with your folks. I'll stay here. It'll be fine. You get a couple days with your parents. So he's at home alone. And one of the nights, he's sleeping, and he hears glass shatter. And he said, you know, he'd always been a, 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 or thought of himself as kind of a manly guy. Um, in high school, the football team, they nicknamed him Rambo because he just loved to run down and hit people. You know, if somebody had made a dirty move, he's like, well, then I'll fix that on the next play. I'm just going to take them out and make sure they can't play anymore. You know, he said he, he's always been that kind of tough guy who, who wasn't scared of stuff, who wanted to tackle into the situations, who always protected his little domain, whatever that was. And so he said when he heard the glass shatter and he woke up out of that dead sleep, his first thought was not to hide, not to call 911. His first thought was, I got to defend my castle. And so he hops out of bed in his underwear and he grabs the first weapon he can find to take into battle with him, which happened to be a tennis racket with the padded cover still on. <laughs> so he runs down the stairs with his weapon in his armor, and he, go, faces, and he comes face to face with this guy with a knife. And he said, being the man that wanted to defend his castle, he takes a swing. And the guy steps out of the way and he misses. And he's off balance because he missed, the, missed hitting the guy. And he said that guy took the opportunity to begin stabbing him. And ultimately, over the course of the next few minutes, that man stabbed him 37 times in the temple, 
under the jaw, in the cheek, in the back of the neck, in the spine. This guy stabbed him 37 times. Um, and in the course of that, he says, where's your money? Where's your valuables? Where's your keys? And he said, I don't have any valuables. I'm a minister. I got no money. But my keys are on the table. The guy went in, looked for the keys, couldn't find them, came back mad that he didn't, that it was kind of a, a wasted robbery and began stabbing him some more just because he was mad that he didn't get anything out of it. And the guy's telling the story and how he had to lay on the floor feeling utter hopelessness, feeling like I'm never going to see my kids again. All I can do is lay here and die. There's no one in my house to call for help. And he said God gave him a little inspiration that his life wasn't to be over yet, and so he started to get up to go to the neighbor's house, and he literally had to hold his organs in to go to the neighbor's house to find help. And as he's telling the story, and he made an amazing recovery, and he says, you know, I didn't have any valuables in my house that night, but you will not believe what that man took from me. He said he took my manliness. That was something I'd prided myself in. I was a tough guy, and nothing scared me, but there I was in my moment, you know, my moment to rush into battle to prove that I was the man that I always felt I was, and I lost. He said, I felt like my man card got revoked. He took my financial security from all the medical bills that my family had to pay. It was overwhelming, which then ultimately took our home, because not only did we not want to live in that place anymore that was tainted by that act, he's like, but we couldn't afford to live in that house anymore because of the medical bills. So we had to sell our house, and we're moving from small apartment to small apartment to small apartment, just trying to get by, just trying to pay off the bills and recover and tread water until that can happen. He said, that man took so, so much from me, and he's telling the story about all that he had lost because that's what happened when somebody sins against you. Now, that's an extreme story that I hope none of us ever have to go through anything like that, but it definitely illustrates the fact of how personal sin debt can be. I mean, how do you get over that? How do you let that go when somebody takes something from you? Another thing that makes forgiveness so hard just to kind of complicate this whole matter is often, often the thing that we feel they owe us is impossible to repay. I mean, how can that guy ever give him his manliness back? How can that man uh, unstab him? You know, how can, how can somebody give you the years of your life back? How can somebody enable you to trust others again? How can, how can a, a drunk driver return the lives that they've taken? I mean, can you ever go back in time and unsay those words that you said that you wished you could have shoved them back in your mouth the second they came out? Can you ever turn back the clock and unthink those thoughts and unbe selfish? You can't. Infidelity can't be undone. Lies can't be untold. People can't be unhurt. That's just not the way life works. And so oftentimes we're sitting there and we're mad and we're angry at somebody because we want them to repay a debt that they can never repay anyway. And it makes this so incredibly painful. But yet that's what we want. And we'll hold on to our angerness, we'll hold on to our bitterness, we'll hold on to our pain until we feel like the debt is repaid. Because we understand that there is something off balance, that there is a debt that exists. But understanding that this debt does exist is key for you to understand how forgiveness can actually happen. It's key for you to actually understand what forgiveness truly is. Because... Um, I think Andy Stanley, I love the way he has said it. I, I've heard a lot of different definitions about forgiveness, but this is the one that is my absolute favorite. Oh, i got to go here. It's my absolute favorite. Forgiveness means we release that person and say, you don't owe me. Forgiveness means we release that person and say, you don't owe me. Because when you're mad, when you're angry, when you feel that debt exists, you hang on to that. 
You hang on to that. And you're angry and you're mad and you drag them through life with you because you're so angry. But when you let go of that debt, when you say, you don't owe me, you release them and you wipe the debt clean. Jesus starts to build this up because he, Jesus mentions that law of the talon, law of the claw, and he does, he changes it. And he shows us what God really expects. God does not truly wish for you to live your life with a debt, debtor mentality. He doesn't intend you to look at every relationship that gets, where, where every relationship that sin enters into. He doesn't want you to look at that like they owe you something or you owe them. He wants us to live on a higher level than that. In the, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, give to him your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not, not drag around your hate and resentment toward them for years and years, but pray for the ones. And not pray that a rock, like a boulder would find their face, okay? Not pray that, you know, a stray piano that, you know, cartoon style was being hoisted up to the 37th floor, the rope breaks and smashes them into the concrete. I mean, pray for their well-being. Pray for the ones who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Meaning, you don't hold this debt-debtor relationship, but we live our lives in such a way that we aren't keeping track of all the debts. We aren't keeping track of who owes you what or what you owe them. He says, when you do that, you will be like your Father in heaven. You will be like God. Jesus calls us to a way of living that gives up on ever having our debts repaid. Because as you look through the idea of forgiveness throughout the Bible, there's this idea of it being a pardon. Pardon. And if you know what a pardon is, I mean, we still have those in our society today. I think I read the other day an article where the president pardoned somebody. But it's basically, you're acknowledging that that person's guilty, and you are releasing them from the consequences for whatever it was that they have done wrong. Forgiveness is a pardon where you let them go. You know they did it to you. You know they're wrong. You know they owe you. And you're saying, but I'm letting it go. I'm not going to sit here and live my life like you owe me something. And if you've ever had somebody betray you, you know how wrong that feels. It just feels wrong. It feels like it's not something that should ever be done. It feels downright wrong because they hurt you. They owe you. It's unfair. Yeah, it is absolutely unfair. Forgiveness isn't fair even a little bit. It is 100% unfair to ever forgive somebody and to have their debt released. And one of the reasons I wanted to cover this idea of debt being, uh, of forgiveness being about releasing a, an, a debt is because far too often we hear stuff about, or we believe that forgiveness is about just you kind of letting go of the, the, the emotions of it. That we think that forgiveness is an emotional matter, and it is, but we think that the act of forgiveness is meaning, oh, I'm not going to be mad anymore. Okay. Like forgiveness is just flipping off a switch. Like your emotions, there's just some you know, switch and you can just turn those off in a moment's notice. You can't do that, right? No, it's this decision, a choice to let go. To say, I'm not going to live my life forever as if you owe me something. I am deciding now that even though you were wrong, I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. 
And it can often feel difficult. It can feel hard, but it is not primarily an emotional choice. The moment of forgiveness is a decision. The process that I talked about earlier, that's where you are constantly working on letting go of those emotions. But I'll be honest, they don't deserve to get let off the hook, and that's why it's so hard. But uh, as with most of the things in the world that God asks us to do that are hard, he lays the groundwork for us. He lays the path. He gives us an example to follow, and that example is Christ. Because just as people stand in debt to you because of their sin, we stand in debt to God because of our sin. And I could go on and on about how we owe God for our sin, all the things we've done wrong, be it horrible thoughts we've had or things we've said to people, ways that we've been selfish and hurtful and crass or whatever. We got a whole, I could go on about all the ways we've sinned against God, okay? But we've all been a sinner in God's sight. And despite the fact that we are sinners to God, the main story of Scripture is how God looks at a world of humanity who have broken his rules, who have sinned against him, and he looks at our debt and he releases us from it. The main story of Scripture is that we carry a sin debt before God that we can never repay because we can't unthink the thoughts, unsay the things, or undo the whatever. You know, We can't undo those things. But God, through Christ, releases us from our sin, our debt. In Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were dead because of your sin, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did he forgive us? By canceling the record of debt. He cancels our debt. It, he, there's a real debt that exists between us and God, and God cancels that debt that stood against us with its legal demands so that he set aside, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross, that Christ takes my debt and your debt on his shoulders, and he took it to the cross. He paid the price of our debt. He balanced the scales. He paid it off by going to the cross for us. He erased your debt. And let me tell you something. It's not fair. That Jesus suffered for me? That's not fair. But you know what? I'm a little more okay with that being unfair than I am having to forgive somebody who's done something wrong. That's unfair, and I want to I hang on to the fact that it's unfair. For I want to hang on to that fact until I'm dead in the ground. But I am all glad to open my arms and say, oh, please forgive me, Jesus. And it's silly how we're that way, but man, you know, we're not really logical creatures as human beings. But the reality is that he forgave us in Christ while we were still sinners. In fact, a better way of saying it is he forgave us while we were still sinning. He forgave us before we'd even got all our sin out yet. Isn't that silly? You know, usually we wait, when we forgive somebody, we think we've got to wait for them to apologize. We've got to wait for them to, to kind of change and get their act together. But that's not how God treated us. You know, there's this idea that being a Christian or coming to faith means you've cleaned yourself up so that God will like you. No, God comes to our rescue while we're still in the pit of our mess, while we're still making terrible choices, and before we even have a decision to get our act together, he saves us, while we were still sinning. And it's that forgiveness that we experience in Christ that should be our motivator to be people who forgive those situations. It's, it's the powerful salvation that we are shown, forgiveness that we are shown in Christ that should make us to look at the impossible situations of forgiveness in our life and make us want to tackle them. Because so too often, you know, when, when forgiveness, it feels hard because there's, there's power to it. But, it. but if when your emotions are involved and you're mad at somebody, you don't want to forgive them. You don't want to let them off the hook. 
They deserve every ounce of your hatred, every ounce of your rage. But you know what? We deserve every ounce of God's wrath for our sin, and we don't receive that because Christ took it for us. And so we go to Christ as our example of what it means to forgive and how his heart led, his heart of love led him to forgive. A little bit later in Colossians, one chapter later, we get a little bit more. The Apostle Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. That's our motivation. If we're going to look at our life and say, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to be a grudge-holding person who drags every debt, sin debt through my whole life. If I'm going to be different, it's because I'm going to forgive because the Lord has forgiven me. So as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And he says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together. Love for that person. Love for Christ and what he's done for you. All of that is wrapped up in the act of forgiveness. He says, in perfect harmony. Harmony is not something that can exist in your life when you're dragging anger and rage and holding a sin debt over someone's head. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which, indeed, you were called in one body. Peace is also something that cannot be in your life when you're holding a sin debt over someone's head. So what I encourage you to say today, because I know we've all got people that we can be mad at and we don't want to we don't want to let go of that because you can, again, you can make that decision, say, I'm not going to owe them anymore, but that doesn't make the emotions go away. We've got to remind ourselves every time that emotion pops up and says, oh, they deserve, they, they deserve every ounce of my rage and hatred. They deserve the worst life. They deserve every bad thing to ever happen to them. It's when you remind yourself, no, Christ has forgiven me in, the, in my worst. I'm not going to live my life. I'm not going to live my life as if they owe me something. That means no more snide talking, no more rudeness to that person, no more hoping that bad things happen, no more gossiping about them. You will live your life as if the dead is gone, even when you feel it. And you will preach that message of Christ's forgiveness to you, and you will try to reflect that out to them as best you can. Because when Christ died for you, let me just say this, when Christ died for you, it's because he wasn't concerned about your sin debt. He was concerned about you. He loved you. And as hard as it may be, that's how we should live our life to that person. We pray for those who are our enemies. And you know what? I'm, again, I'm not claiming to be perfect in this. Um, I'll tell you, a few years ago, my hometown uh, radio station's website started putting mugshots on there, which, by the way, that's a good afternoon, scrolling through mugshots, seeing what people, trying to guess what people got arrested for. It's not holy or right, but it's fun, okay? I'm just going to say that. And guess whose picture I came across? That guy who smashed up my car. And doggone it if I didn't feel a little bit of satisfaction when I saw that. And I had to stop myself and say, I shouldn't be glad. I shouldn't be glad that he's in jail. I shouldn't be glad that he, his life obviously hasn't turned around. I shouldn't be glad that he's still doing stuff to hurt people and get tossed in jail. I shouldn't be glad, but I was. And I had to tell myself that he doesn't owe me anything and that I should not hope the worst for him and that I should hope the best and hope that Christ gets a hold of his heart and turns his life around. Because that's what it means to forgive. You let them go, you release them from the debt, and you hope the best for their life. No more being rude, no more treating them as they deserve to be treated. And so you pray that God would give you a heart of love. You pray that the Spirit of Christ would work inside of you to help you love them as He has loved you in spite of the mess, in spite of everything. So, who owes you? 
I can tell by some faces that some of you feel like somebody owes you. And how are you going to proceed? And we're going to talk about that the next number of weeks. We're going to work on this, and there's a lot of sides of forgiveness. It's a, it's a big issue all throughout Scripture. We're going to talk about forgiving other people. We're going to talk about how we receive forgiveness from God, all of that stuff. We're going to cover it all. But I do want you to know, as we leave today, the one thing I want you to understand is that as we seek forgiveness, or seek to be people who forgive, as we seek to be people who forgive, we cannot forget that we have first been forgiven. Let's pray. Father, help us to be people who are not looking to carry around a debt our whole life. There are people who are going to wrong us, treat us bad, ignore us, whether those are close friends, close family, close relatives, or strangers. We're going to have people that, that do bad things to us, things that stir up our emotions, that, that stir up hatred and pain inside of us, and it's going to be hard to let that go, but I pray that we would follow in the footsteps of Jesus and be people seeking to forgive. We would not carry those debts around, but we would look at the people and we would let it go. And then we would spend however long it takes preaching that gospel message of forgiveness to ourselves, reminding that we have been forgiven at our worst so that we can hopefully, again, follow in Jesus' footsteps and release those who have sinned against us. Thank you for the example of Jesus and thank you for the power of the Spirit inside of us. Without either of those things, I'm not even sure forgiveness would be possible. I'm not even sure we've got the fortitude to ever let a sin debt go because sometimes the hurt is just too strong. But by your grace, by your mercy, and by your power, we can be freed from that. And I pray that we would look to that each and every day, every time we feel that debt rising up inside of us. Thank you for calling us to a better way, calling us to be people who forgive. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.